today, we've been in a series called Kingdom Come, uh, and the kingdom is what Jesus talked about most in his ministry. It's both a physical place, but also where God's spirit dwells in all of us. And then Andy preached on the Lord's Prayer the last two weeks, how Jesus instructs us to pray, which we just did, his kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, and then Webb preached on the Beatitudes, where Jesus laid out in his most famous sermon, Who is Blessed and Who Will Inherit the Kingdom. Next week, Kate is talking about how Jesus commands us not to worry. And today, I'm talking to, about Jesus' command for us in Matthew 6, which is to serve the need. So, Matthew 6, 1 through 4, which I'll read, is the verse that we're working from today. Says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, let your kingdom come. Let it come in this room and wherever people are listening. Show us your way, God. Show us a way to be citizens of this place in word and deed. And Lord, speak through me and let my words be your words. Amen. So, Andy and Kate asked me to speak today because of my work with people with disabilities. And while they get excited about one adventure I went on in particular that they wanted me to talk about, I wanted to share a little bit about that, but also share about some other, some things that I've had the opportunity to learn throughout my career. And how I've come to a much deeper understanding of community and uh, the need for belonging. So for me, I started volunteering with Cupenda when I was a teenager. Cupenda is run by Andy's sister, Cindy, and serves families and children affected by disability in Kenya and other developing countries. And then my first real job out of college, where I'm still at now, is at Waypoint Adventure, also a nonprofit that uses adventure as a teacher for character building, growth, and community for people affected by disability here in the Boston area. In the beginning, I was young and I really didn't get it. I thought I was going to go to Africa and help needy children, or at Waypoint that I was going to help people understand their strengths and that they would become better people, that I would help fix them, make them better. I had a guard up, I had a me versus them mentality, I didn't view them as peers or people that I would invite to my house. Uh, and what God has given me over the years is a perspective much more focused on the joy of diverse community than on healing or fixing. So the big adventure uh, that Amy Kate get excited about, and so do I, was in 2016 when Cindy contacted me to climb Kilimanjaro with three Kenyan kids with disabilities. The idea was that if some kids climbed it, each representing certain disability types, it could really help the stigma and community attitude there. So that's what we did. In Kenya, where the stigma around disability can be really awful, 
Uh, babies are still sometimes eliminated when they're born. Kids and adults are often mistreated, neglected, or abandoned. We would take Marceline, Fumo, and Hassan, three kids with disabilities, to climb Africa's highest peak. So Marceline was 16 at the time with cerebral palsy. Uh, she had a wide swinging right arm and leg, which affected her gait, but she could walk. Fumo was 19 with an intellectual disability that mostly affected his speech, and Hassan was 16 and completely deaf. Each of the three would have challenges on the mountain, but not much different to the ones that any of us were, that were climbing with them would have. Endurance, patience, proper training, proper gear were all the bigger factors. I think the biggest disadvantage was not their disabilities, but the fact that they had never experienced anything below 70 degrees. In Kilimanjaro, it's very cold. So, some fun facts about Kilimanjaro, just to make sure you know this is somewhat impressive. The entirety of the base of Kilimanjaro and its surrounding landmass is bigger than the entire White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire. The summit is 13,341 feet. Mount Washington, for reference, is only 6,288. It's the highest point in Africa, and because it's not part of a range, it's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. So, we trained and we prepared, and the goal was to show to their communities what these kids were capable of when given the opportunity. For many of us who climbed with them, Joel and a few others included, we knew that these kids had a shot. We were more worried about ourselves. I don't know if you've heard, but Kenyans are pretty well known for their endurance. But what we experienced for eight days together on the mountain was everyone having challenges, Kenyans and Americans, mostly unrelated to their disability or ability, but rather their mindset, belief in themselves, ability to cope with the unexpected, and more. This wasn't the first time I've learned this. At Waypoint, when we're doing an intake on a participant to join an adventure, we ask all sorts of questions about their medical background, allergies, seizures, do they need any special equipment, differentiated instruction. And we did the same for the kids for Kilimanjaro. But when we learned all about Fumo, we knew he had intellectual challenges, but nothing about the fact that he had rolled his ankle several times that year came up in the conversation. And he had ankle issues on the mountain. Hassan, who was deaf, we knew would need support with interpreting and knowing what to expect, but we didn't know he would be a picky eater and have stomach issues. And Marceline, we knew, would need to take it slow in tricky sections, walk with a trekking pole, have support when needed, but we didn't know that it would be tricky to use the bathroom because she wasn't used to wearing pants, or that she wouldn't want to listen to advice to go slower because she was a teenage girl and wanted to prove herself. So, how does this all relate to today? My first point is this. When Jesus is talking about serving the needy, I don't think he's classifying a group of people that are in a permanent state of neediness being helped by a group of people who are in a permanent state of blessed richness, or people who don't need anything. The needy can be all of us. One in five people in the world have some sort of disability. It's the only minority group that one can become a part of due to old age or injury. It's estimated that 80% of disabilities are invisible. 
that you wouldn't be able to tell by first glance. There's so many of us. I think we limit ourselves when we see ourselves as one or the other. I know I did. I had a wall up when I first started my job. I thought I was the one helping people who needed my help. Now, I'm not saying that everyone has a disability or is in a state of neediness. I personally don't identify as having a disability right now. But I am saying that people are people, and we're all so much more common than we think. For instance, I get sensory overload, I get distracted, I like to arrange things on my desk so that they're in a 90 degree angle to each other sometimes, just to make my brain feel better. Sometimes I really relate to people with autism or people with brain injuries who sometimes have no filter for what they say. They're saying what everyone is thinking, and I just love that. Can't we all just be more clear and direct? It's very refreshing. Now, when Jesus was preaching to serve the needy, this stuff would have been revolutionary to his listeners. Draw near to these people, eat with them, spend time with them, come alongside them. People had labels, and they weren't seen as people. Crippled, leper, demon-possessed. They were poor, often outside the city walls, seen as unclean. But it's luck of the draw what gets deemed unclean and what doesn't. Thank goodness women today who are menstruating don't have to quarantine for seven days anymore. Or imagine if needing glasses was seen as unclean. Would several of you have a different status? So my first point is this. Serving the needy is just people supporting one another in a community without status, without labels. This is how Jesus intended the kingdom. My second point is a theme that I've heard a few times, is that it's an upside-down kingdom. Webb spoke a few weeks on the Beatitudes, a few weeks ago, excuse me, on the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. All of those are so backwards, and there's more. The weak are the ones God chooses to show us the way. Those were air quotes there for the recording. For the blind. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came on the scene, the protagonists were meek. Moses had a speech impediment and no leadership experience whatsoever. Joseph, who became the king of Egypt's right-hand man, was a little brother that nobody liked, and they threw him in a pit to die. And Esther, a woman, considered in those times not to have any authority or right to make decisions, God gave the courage to go to the king to plead with him not to kill all the Jewish people in the land, risking her own life in the process and saving the bloodline that would result in Jesus. God tells us to serve the needy, not because he needs our help. He can do it himself. It's because serving the needy actually does the opposite. It brings us closer. Everyone benefits. We receive from the needy. The meek show us his glory. The weak show us his perfect design. In the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about how it is good for there to be many gifts among the people. He says in chapter 12, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to take a second to read this passage because it's so good. 
Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we should treat with special honor. Disability comes up a lot in the Bible. It didn't have that name, disability, but in today's times, disability is still a far-reaching term. The Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 doesn't have a clear definition when you read it. It says, anyone with a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. This includes individuals who do not have a disability but are regarded as having one. When I met Fumo for the climb, I could hardly tell he had an intellectual disability. He had a slight stutter, and his teacher said that he was dyslexic. In America, he probably would have been on an IEP for some time, and that would have been it. But in Kenya, he is labeled as stupid and an embarrassment to his community, and it was the stigma that disabled him. In the Bible, when we hear about blindness, deafness, a man is paralyzed, being lowered down to Jesus through a roof. Jesus heals them. He touches them, speaks over them, and his glory is shown through healing. But there are countless other stories that, that don't stick out to us as much when God ch chooses not to heal. And these were still for his glory. Moses wasn't healed of that speech impediment. There was a man named Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan and grandson of Paul, who, or sorry, Saul, who was dropped as a baby and couldn't walk the rest of his life. He became an advisor to King David and one of the most notable kings in the whole Bible. And there are countless other times when Jesus is speaking to crowds of thousands and heals some, but not all. It's confusing because God does heal, and those moments in the Bible are awesome. Who wouldn't want to have been there to see those? And then Paul tells the Philippians that God will heal us in heaven. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So, God will maybe heal us on earth, and definitely in heaven. But I don't know. I know a lot of people with disabilities who aren't praying for healing. Some wheelchair users I know can't see themselves as walking. They just say, that's just not me. Or deaf people in our community most likely aren't praying to hear. They, they do just fine. I don't know how disability is going to manifest in heaven. But I can't help but wonder if maybe for some of us, God's healing in heaven will be the healing of stigma, not the disability itself. So... Second point, it's an upside-down kingdom. The healed show off God's glory, but so did the unhealed. 
I thought Webb said it best when he talked about the meek will inherit the earth. He said, that's not just humility, people. The meek, the ones with that identity, will inherit the earth. My last point is that kingdom is come. It's here now. I've had a few glimpses of heaven in my life, and they've always been when I'm surrounded by people with disabilities. In Kenya, at the schools where there are special schools just for kids with disabilities, there's usually a large group that are deaf, and then a large group with physical disabilities. And the deaf rely on the kids who hear to help them communicate to those who don't sign. And the kids who use wheelchairs need the deaf kids who can walk to push them around and get food or to the bathroom, etc. It feels like the kingdom, everyone's supporting each other. Another example of kingdom come is a pastor in France, Jean Vignet, started Christian-based community living centers where people with and without disabilities could live together, all supporting one another. There weren't paid personal care attendants and then uncontributing members with disabilities who sat around and did nothing. Everyone's contributions had value and were needed, and everyone could find a place. Some would cook, some would teach or read or sing, some would clean, and all would enjoy each other's company. One of my favorite stories from a Jean Vignet podcast was about a man who came to visit one of his communities and just really didn't get it. He was a wealthy businessman, came with his briefcase, and sat down with John Vignet in his office to talk about something. And he was sitting in the office across from him when in walked Jean-Claude. And Jean-Claude had Down syndrome. And this is France, so everyone has Jean-Claude sounding names. And Jean-Claude came in happy and laughing and shook the businessman's hand, laughing and walked around the desk and shook John Vignet's hand and was laughing and smiling and giggling. And then he waved and he trotted out the door. And the businessman turned to him and got very serious and downcast and said, Oh, how sad. People like that. What a terrible way to live. And John Vignet was shocked and sad for the man and realized this man was totally blind to the fact that Jean-Claude was happy. So what if we could live in a world, a kingdom, where joy was the currency and not IQ? That feels like the kingdom of God. At Waypoint Adventure, we've been trying to launch an inclusive adventure club. Typically, our programs have participants with disabilities, and then when needed, we recruit volunteers to help with pushing wheelchairs, or belaying on a rock wall, or paddling a tandem kayak with someone. But what started to happen is that volunteers want to keep coming even when they're not needed. Sometimes we don't really need the help, and these volunteers are reporting that they get so much out of it and want to keep coming just to go on a hike with everybody or paddle down the river. So we've started to notice that this volunteer participant model isn't always necessary. Why are, why are participants with disabilities paying full price when people without disabilities get to come for free and have the same experience? So we're trying our best at these mini communities like the one that Jean Vignet started, or little glimpses of heaven. The Inclusive Adventure Club is for people with and without disabilities where everyone offers their unique gifts, abilities, and supports, and everyone pays the same fee. 
There's no briefing at the beginning of the day to the volunteers on what participants have or what their label is. We all just meet up and go for an adventure. We climb up what you said last week. So I've told people about this ideal we're striving for and have had the reaction of, okay, well, good luck. And I feel sad for them. No, you don't understand. You don't know how heavenly it feels. I would pay for an experience like this. And I've tried to pinpoint why these communities feel like glimpses of heaven to me. And what I'm about to say certainly isn't true of all people with disabilities. Everyone is different. But in general, I think I feel so close-knit with people because they wear their brokenness on the outside. Their insecurities are out there and everyone can see it, usually. It makes me immediately feel like I can show mine or talk about mine or display mine. There's no pride or competition. I feel like a completely bare and complete human because I belong and I'm accepted for who I am. So in conclusion, the name of this sermon is Give to the Needy, but everything about this series and this kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount has been backwards. So if you apply the opposite, it reads, receive from the needy. They are the ones that give. Yes, physically go and feed the hungry, give shelter, give clothing, provide companionship. That's what Jesus is commanding us to do. But if done in secret, if done not to boast of your own righteousness, if done with your guard down and labels off, it will bring you closer to an understanding of the kingdom, of the character of God. Something I've learned along the way is that life is for the interruptions. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite step over a begging man because they're on their way to their religious events, but the Samaritan stops, bends down, and helps considering this not to be an interruption to his ministry, but the very object of it. Many of us have jobs, careers, everyone has responsibilities, but what is the object of our ministry here on earth? What is life for at the end of it all? I don't think it's IQ or social norms or earthly convenience. I think it's about loving and caring and serving one another and being the kingdom. So my challenge to you is how can you get interrupted this week? And then lastly, families affected by disability here and elsewhere are some of the least healthy, both physically and spiritually, people in the world and often aren't included in all aspects of life. Dinners with friends, going on vacation, going to the beach, a busy sidewalk. At Fireside, we're committed to helping them get here and loving them for who they are. How can you be a part of that? We want to be open to loud outbursts, someone stimming or pacing off to the side. Parents don't want to do church because their child has behaviors to manage or it's just embarrassing. But we're committed to helping those families and welcoming them in. I spoke with a father last week whose daughter is 22. Full-time wheelchair user, non-speaking, fully dependent on help with eating, bath, bathing, bathroom, dressing, and he was saying he hopes to outlive her. That for the rest of her life, she would live at home with him and his wife and be safe and that they would take care of her. He feels the pressure to stay healthy 
because he was afraid that she wouldn't get good enough care without them. He was afraid no one would love her the way they love her, or worse, that she would become subject to abuse or neglect. My heart broke. Can't we all just take care of each other as if we're family, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters? At Fireside, we want to be people that wear their insecurities on the outside, fully embrace our diverse nature as the body of Christ, and love everyone for exactly who they are, first and foremost, a child of God.